Well, good morning. We are going through a series on the fruit of the Spirit. So let me read part of our passage for you guys this morning. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Well, we're going to talk about joy today. We talked about love last time, so and today we're going to talk about joy. We as people, we are on a quest for joy. One of the good things about this fruit of the Spirit, for me, as somebody who's preaching about it, is I don't have to convince you to want joy in your life. That one's a little bit self-explanatory, so that's really nice for me. And we we all desire joy, and I think that that's that's an okay thing. I think that that's a God-given desire. I'm going to talk about C.S. Lewis to kind of start things off here. C.S. Lewis, in his life, he really studied joy, spent his whole career writing about joy, writing about what joy is for the believer, writing about how we can get it. Here's kind of a summary of how Lewis would define joy. He says, joy is the deep longing that is embedded in each of us, and it's questing for its proper object. In his book, Surprised by Joy, he says, all joy emphasizes our pilgrim status, always reminds beckons, awakens desire. Our best havings are wantings. I think that as people, we try to get joy in a lot of different ways. There's going to be a picture up on the screen here on the next slide. And this is, this is a sign that I saw when I was kind of searching around online. And it's, it's a billboard for Ikea. And the message of that sign is, if you want joy, just shop at Ikea. It's that simple. It's that easy. Of course, it's Ikea, so when you get the joy, you'll have to assemble it, and the instructions will be in Swedish. You won't be able to figure it out. It'll be really difficult. I think that we try to get joy in a lot of different ways, and for me, the main way that I think we try to, try to achieve, try to, try to get happiness in our life is by prioritizing differently. Sometimes we do this consciously, sometimes we do this unconsciously. And what I mean by this is we say, if I can make this thing, whatever this thing is, if I can make this thing the center of my life, if I can make this thing my greatest priority, I'll have joy, I'll have happiness. So we'll take, uh, take money, we'll take job, we'll take success, for example. We say, if I can only get this much money, if I can only achieve this professional goal, that's what will make me happy. We do this with other things, too. Maybe we do it with things like sex. We say, if I can only fulfill this this fantasy of mine, then I'll be happy. You might be sitting there and you say, no, 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 you don't get it. Life is about relationships, right? If we only get that group of friends, if we invest in our family, that is what will bring us joy. That's what will truly satisfy us. 
For me, that last one is probably the most difficult. It is very easy for me to make my family the center of my attention, my highest priority. But what happens when our family doesn't live up to our expectations? What happens when we get that that money or that thing or that position that we've always wanted? Does it truly satisfy? Does it really last? Here's another quote by Lewis. He says, What does not satisfy when we find it was not the thing we were desiring. Every time that we find something that doesn't satisfy us, it should inform us. It should inform us that our affections are in the wrong place. It should inform us that we need to be desiring something different. God, He made us to be satisfied. He commands that we are satisfied. All over the Bible, we see rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. This fruit of the Spirit, even, this is not a suggestion. This is not something happy that will make your life better. This is a command. We need to be producing the fruit of the Spirit in our life. So, the question is, how do we do it? So, here's the main point of what I want to tell you guys on the next slide there. I receive joy by delighting myself in Jesus and His gospel. Let me say that again. I receive joy by delighting myself in Jesus and his gospel. I made this statement first person because this is something that we each, each and every one of us, need to personally embrace. We need to personally understand this truth. There's a couple things about this statement that I want to point out. The first is that it says, notice, I receive. I receive joy. The reason why we receive joy is because it's not something that we can earn. It's not something that we can buy. It's not something that we can obtain. The only way to get it is to receive it. It's by the grace of God. It's a free gift to us from Him. God, He is the source of joy. Therefore, the only way that we're going to get joy is from Him. Check out James 1.17. It says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. The other thing that I want you to notice in that main statement is that there were two things to delight in. We need to delight in Jesus and we need to delight in his gospel. Now here's the reason why. I believe that if we only ever try to connect to Jesus without ever thinking about the work that he did on the cross, I think we'll be selling ourselves short. We will lose a critical aspect of who Christ is. He is our savior. He is our redeemer. Vice versa, if we only ever focus on what he did, if we only ever intellectually think about what he did for us, then we won't be connected to the source of joy. So the third thing I want to mention about that statement is, why Jesus? We are always talking about Jesus. We're always talking about Jesus is Lord. We need to center our lives on Christ. Why him? Why not center our lives on the Spirit? I mean, it's the fruit of the Spirit after all, right? Why not center our lives on God the Father? I mean, he's God, right? So here's why. I want to talk about the Trinity a little bit. The Holy Spirit, one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Christ. The book of John talks about that. It says that the Spirit will testify about the Son. The Spirit will glorify Christ. So if we have the Spirit working in our lives, we will look to Christ. From there, we see that Jesus, if we know Jesus, then we will know the Father. Jesus is the final consummation of the revelation of who God is. We see that in Hebrews 1. We see that in John 16 as well. Let me read this passage to you. Philip said, Lord, meaning Jesus, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? 
says, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So if we see Jesus, then we will see the Father. And if we have the Spirit working in our lives, then we will see Jesus. So what I would submit to you based on that is if we are to delight ourselves in the Lord, if we are to delight ourselves in God, we need to delight ourselves in Jesus Christ. Okay, so let me lay out the rest of the time for us today. So what I want to do is I want to give you guys a big, wide brushstroke of the whole book of Galatians. That's where our passage is from. And the reason why I want to do this is because I think that to understand any particular passage in the Bible, we need to study it in its context. Therefore, for us to understand the fruit of the Spirit, for us to understand what it means, we need to look at the entire message of Galatians, and we'll see how it enables us to experience joy. After that, then what I want to do is I want to give you guys a couple really super practical tips on how we can delight ourselves in Jesus and his gospel, how we can receive his joy into our lives. All right, so you guys ready? Buckle up, keep all arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times, and here we go. The book of Galatians is dynamite. The book of Galatians is an explosion of joy and freedom for the life of the believer. It's a letter written from Paul to the church at Galatia. Let me lay down a little bit of historical context so you can understand this. There are some teachers that came into the Galatian church, and they were teaching a false gospel. They were teaching false doctrine. What they were saying is that for you to be a believer, for you to be a Christian, you need to believe in Christ, and you need to follow the Old Testament Jewish laws of Moses. You need to follow all the dietary restrictions. You need to do all the festivals, everything in the law of Moses. You need to follow that in order to be a believer in Christ. So what Paul does is he defends the gospel throughout the entire letter. The gospel is at the heart of the message of Galatians. And Paul, what he does is he starts out mad in the letter. I don't know if you guys have have studied Paul, but he normally doesn't start out his letters just bang, bang, bang right into it like that. He normally has some encouragement. He's got nothing. He just starts out mad. And the reason why he's mad is because the Galatians have turned away from the gospel that he originally preached to them. He doesn't understand this. Paul doesn't get this because this gospel is not something that he deduced. It's not something that he thought up. The gospel is something that he received. Check out verse 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 12. It says, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. From there, Paul goes on to lay out what the gospel is. He says, it is by grace alone that we have been saved. This is uh, in chapter 2, verse 16. Or excuse me, I'm, yeah, yeah, that's right. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So what I like to do is I like to put it in kind of a math equation, so that helps my brain a little bit. So if you have a mathematical brain at all, then maybe this will help you. So this is Pauline math. Are you guys ready? The gospel equals Jesus plus nothing. Nothing at all. All right? And the transverse of that is that the false gospel equals Jesus plus anything, anything at all. Paul says if we add anything onto the gospel, if we add any command, any rule, anything onto the gospel, it ceases to become the good news. It's not the good news anymore. It's not the gospel. It becomes the false gospel. So what he's saying, he's saying that the Galatians, you guys, you're trying to follow the law of Moses to be saved. It's not going to be work. It's not going to work. 
You need to trust in Christ. So from there, chapters 3 and 4, we start to move on to a little bit of the application section of the letter. And Paul, he says that we are not just saved by the gospel, we also grow by the gospel. What this means is that on our journey with Jesus, we carry the gospel with us like a backpack. As Christians, a lot of times, I do this too, we tend to think of the gospel like the ABCs of Christianity, right? You know, accept, believe, commit, or whatever it is. And what Paul is saying is that's not right. The gospel is not the ABCs. The gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. We always carry it with us. We always bring it wherever we go in our journey to become more like Jesus. So after that, he kind of asks a really practical question. He says, well, if we're saved by faith, if we're saved by grace, then what's the purpose of the law? What is our relationship to the law? Why, why is it even here? He says that the law serves a very important function. The law points out something in us. The law points out our brokenness. The law points out our inability to be perfect, our inability to live up to God's standards. It says we are so broken that only if God himself comes down can we be fixed. That's the only way that we will recover. It's the only way we can be rescued. And so at that point, it's, it's easy to just throw our hands up and say, well, what do we do? I mean, we're prisoners under the law if that's the case. What could possibly happen? Christ can happen. Christ came in. God did come down. Christ died on the cross to liberate us from our slavery to the law, from our slavery to, to following the rules. Because of him, we can have freedom. In 326, he says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. The fact is, you don't need to follow the law to get God's approval. Paul says you already have God's approval. His whole deal with the Galatians this whole time is they are trying to earn their salvation. They're trying to earn it. And Paul says, no, that's not true. You've been saved through grace in Christ and faith in Christ, not by following the rules. He says, you guys, you're children of the king. You've been adopted into God's family. He is pleased with you. He loves you. From there, we hit chapter 5, and it starts out by saying this says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. This is sort of a bit of a summary of the whole book. Everything about the Christian gospel is freedom. Because of Christ, we are free from sin. We are free from the law. We are free from Satan. 5.13 and 16, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, meaning sin. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So after that, we come to our passage. And the reason why I laid this out for you guys is because it is very easy to come to the fruit of the Spirit moralistically. What I mean by that is we look at the fruit of the Spirit, and we say, these are the no-nos, the acts of the flesh. That's the no list. We don't do that. The fruit of the Spirit, oh yeah, that's where it's at. If we do the fruit of the Spirit, God will be pleased with us. If we do the fruit of the Spirit, we'll be saved. That's what we need to do. And the whole letter of Galatians says, no, that's not true. We do not walk by the Spirit to get God's approval. We walk by the Spirit because we already have God's approval. Our motivation is Jesus Christ. 
We have freedom in him. Because of that freedom, we want to be more like him. We want to have Christ-like character. We want to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Because of Jesus, we can be free to love others. We can be free to experience joy in our lives. We can have supernatural peace and patience. We can be good. We can be gentle because Christ is good and gentle. We can be faithful to others because God is faithful to us. And we can have self-control because we have the Spirit of Christ living within us. After that, Paul wraps things up. It's a powerful book. Amen. The message of Galatians is very powerful. So what I want to talk about specifically, of course, is joy, the second fruit of the Spirit that we're going to dive into. The Greek word for joy is hara. All right, so maybe you guys can say that with me. Here we go. One, two, three. Hara. All right, that's good. So my grandfather, he was uh, from Czechoslovakia, so he was really good at like, just kind of coughing up those words, you know, Slavic language. It's really good. So I need you guys to dig down deep in like the throat, esophagus, lung area when you say this, okay? We're going to try it one more time. Oh, but don't like cough up anything on the person in front of you. That'd be gross. So here we go. One, two, three. Hara. Good. That word, the word for joy is used 59 times in the New Testament, And it refers to a cheerfulness. It refers to a gladness, being exceedingly joyful. And we always see that it refers to a spirit of joy. Joy is an inward attitude that manifests itself externally and manifests itself outwardly. Tim Keller, he's an author and a a preacher. He lives in Manhattan. He has a church there. And he, uh, there's a caricature of him too. I just thought it was kind of funny. But anyways, he uh, quotes about joy in this passage. This is what he says. He says, joy is a delight in God. For the sheer beauty and worth of who he is, its opposite is hopelessness or despair. And its counterfeit is an elation that is based on experiencing blessings, not the blesser, causing mood swings based on circumstances. We as Christians, we should have a disposition towards happiness. We should smile because of God's amazing grace to us. Because of Christ, we have every right to smile. Joy should be evident in our lives. Joy should be so evident in our lives that people see us and they say, I want that. What is that? What does that person have? That's what I want in my life. I'll tell you a quick story. Maybe, I don't know if you've heard of this guy. He, he works at Costco and his name is Teddy. So he lives here in Vancouver. He is, he is awesome. He's been in a couple Goodwill commercials and he's literally had newspaper articles written about him because he's such a nice guy. There's a newspaper article up there. He just loves people, and he loves the Lord, too. So I was walking into Costco, and I noticed that he was the one checking cards. I have never met him before in my life. I'd just seen the newspaper article and thought, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. So anyways, he's there. So you know, I pull out my Costco card, right, and I just kind of show it to him, and I just give him a smile, and he like, looks at me like this, and he goes, you love the Lord, don't you? And I was like, yeah, yes, I, yes, I do. And he goes, I see the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit is shining through your smile. That's what God wants. You just, you encouraged me. You just lifted my spirit right there. And I was like, oh, thank you. It's so wonderful. It was, it was amazing. And I, I really pulled away two things from that interaction. First, we all need to be more like Teddy. Teddy's just awesome. I mean, he loves the Lord and he loves people. The second thing I pulled away from that is that he has never seen me before in his entire life. I smile at him, and somehow he knows that I'm a Christian. I don't act like that all the time. 
I don't always smile in a way that people will know I have the joy of Christ in my heart. I want to be like that all the time. Even a smile can be a testimony. Even a smile can speak to people about the grace of God. Okay, so there's another picture here of Teddy. Giving a big hug to somebody, I think, in the next part. So he's just a great guy. All right, so the question is, how do we do it? How do we receive joy in our lives? How do we delight ourselves in Jesus and delight ourselves in the gospel? I want to give you guys four really practical ways that we can do this, right? Some of which are from the book of Galatians, some of which are from elsewhere. So as we're looking through these, what I need you guys to remember is I need you to remember that it is only through Christ that this is possible. It's only through Jesus that we can work towards these things in our life, all right? So number one, you guys can follow along in your inserts. So I've got four lines there. Number one, we need to do away with sin. This is probably the least happy of the four points. So we need to get rid of sin in our life. Let me read part of that passage again. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, meaning the sinful nature, with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Sin looks really good. Sin looks fun. We sin because we think that it will make us happy on some level. We think that it will bring us joy to some degree, even if we know it's just for a few seconds. Even if we know that it's just for a couple minutes. Unfortunately, when we sin, we tell God that He is not delightful. We tell God that He is not enough. When we sin, it dishonors Christ because it tells Him, You cannot make me happy. I need the gospel plus this other thing. So there's a, there's a couple ways that, that we can tackle this. I find for myself when I, when I look at sin, when I try to focus on myself, when I try to focus on not acting certain ways, when I try to focus on not thinking certain thoughts, it just doesn't work. I just can't do it by focusing on the sin itself. And I think the reason why that is is because when I do that, I look in myself. I look into my own strength. So what we need to do is we need to embrace the truth that our Father loves us, first and foremost. We need to embrace the fact that he loves us. Here's Tim Keller again. He says, The Christian is assured of God's love and approval. God is pleased with us in Christ. So the Christian longs to obey God, not for himself, so that God will save him, but out of gratitude to God, who he knows has already saved him. God's approval liberates us to live in a way which God approves of. The gospel is both a powerful assurance and a powerful motivation to live in radical obedience. We do not live God's way in order to become his children, but out of gratitude that we are already God's children. So for us to do that, I think that we need to replace the desire for sin with a different desire. We need to make Jesus our greatest affection. There was a a preacher by the name of Thomas Chalmers in the 17 and 1800s, And he preached a a pretty famous sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. 
In the whole sermon, what he says, he says that if we are to do away with sin, what we need to do is replace our affection for sin with a different affection. He says the heart always longs for something. The heart will never long for nothing. The question is, what does it long for? Here's a quote. He says, We know of no other way by which to keep the love of the world out of our heart than to keep in our hearts the love of God. Saying that we need to turn our hearts towards Jesus. We need to make Jesus the greatest desire in our life. And we need to trust him first and foremost to make us happy. After that, the desire for sin will fall away because it will be replaced with an even greater, stronger, more pleasant desire. Here's one more C.S. Lewis quote for you guys. This will be the last one. He says this. He says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an arrogant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. fact is, God is offering us a holiday at the sea. If we can embrace that, if we can do away with sin, focusing on Christ, then we will open the door for joy in our lives. Number two, we need to be united with God's people. We need to be united with God's people. What that means is that we need to be connected with God's people, and once we are connected, we need to stay together. Philippians 2 talks a lot about unity. Let me read part of the passage here. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So I want to tell you guys that, that there is joy in unity. And what I'm talking about by unity is I don't just mean this church. I don't just mean Philida. I don't just mean other people. This needs to extend into your own family as well. Your spouse, your kids, your relatives. If there is dissension, if there is, if there is strife in your family, then that can rot away at our joy. So I want to talk to you guys a little bit about, again, how to do that. I think that it comes straight from Philippians 2, 2 here, and I think that the biggest way is humility. We need to have humility in our lives. Philippians 2 says, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. If we are always seeking to prefer the other person, if we're seeking to put the other person first, like Paul is saying, then we can stay united. The second way to stay unified in our families and in our church family is through forgiveness. The reason why I connect this with joy is because when somebody hurts us, when somebody hurts us, we have two options, forgiveness or bitterness. That's it. There's no in-between. Either we let go or we eventually become bitter. And bitterness will rot away our joy. Bitterness is like roundup to our joy. Spray it on there and it gets the root and it just withers it and it dies. We need to be able to let go. We need to be able to forgive 
those who hurt us. You can't hold on to things. You can't hold grudges and expect to be a person who is overflowing with joy. It just doesn't work. Bitterness is opposed to joy. It's opposite of joy. What forgiveness says is this. Forgiveness says, you hurt me, but I lay down my guns. I lay down my guns. I don't want to hurt you in the way that you hurt me anymore. Once you let go, that opens the door for joy in our lives. Humility and forgiveness. Okay, moving on. Number three. So you guys can write this one down too. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. Frequently in Scripture, we see thankfulness connected with joy. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, it says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Savannah and I, we just celebrated our one-year wedding anniversary last week. So it was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you can clap when it's been like 25 years. So that's, that's a really impressive accomplishment. We went up to Skamania Lodge. You'll see some pictures up here on the screen. And we, uh, we had an awesome time. Yeah, we ate at Subway. But if you notice, it says his and hers on it. It's really cute. We told them, you know, it's close to our anniversary and stuff. So uh, we went up to Skamania Lodge, which was really cool because that is where we spent the first part of our honeymoon. That's where we spent our wedding night and the night after that. And while we were up there, man, we just relaxed and we swam and we drove through the gorge. We reminisced. We just had a great time. On your anniversary, you kind of think about the past year. You think about how the past year was, about what happened. And I was thinking, and we kind of we went through some, some stuff. We had our car stolen, had our laptop stolen, had all my schoolwork stolen, had our iPad stolen, had my identity stolen because of all that other stuff that was stolen. Uh, Savannah's been pregnant most of the time, which is awesome, but it does have its complications too. We got in a car wreck. We've been poor pretty much most of the year. So in light of all that, do you know what we did on our anniversary? We kind of went home. We got home from our you know, drive in the gorge, thinking about the past year, and we pulled out our wedding cake. The top tier of it was frozen for us. So we pulled out our wedding cake, and we, we sliced into that, and we enjoyed that by candlelight, and we danced. We, we slow danced to the song that we first danced to at our wedding. Then we cried. We cried with tears of joy, because God has been so good to us this year. We do not see this year as hard. We do not see this year as difficult for us. We feel incredibly blessed by God. Blessed by what God has given to us. I'll share with you a little bit about how we, we really try to count our blessings. Every night, Savannah and I are really intentional about praying together. We really love to pray together. It helps us, helps us keep God at the center of our relationship, and it helps us grow closer together as husband and wife. One thing that we always try to do when we pray is we say thank you. We thank God doesn't matter how bad the day was. We thank God. We thank Him for life. We thank Him for breath. We thank Him for His grace. We thank Him for His blessings that He's given to us. Most importantly, we thank Him for the gospel. We thank Him for Jesus Christ. We thank Jesus for coming down, being perfectly obedient in His life, for dying on the cross, taking on our sin, taking on our shame and our guilt, so that we can experience joy. We thank Him for that. If you cultivate an attitude of thankfulness, 
the bad stuff is going to fade away. You won't even think about it. The final way that we can receive joy is we need to maintain perspective. We need to maintain perspective. The fact is, this is something very important in our pursuit of joy. As we are pursuing joy in this life, we need to embrace the fact that we will not fully find it on this earth. We will not fully find it in this life. The reason why that is is because the kingdom of God is here and it's not here. The kingdom of God is now, but it's not yet. Our joy and our satisfaction will reach its full consummation at the second coming of Christ. When Christ comes back, He will make all things new. When Christ comes back, He will restore our broken state. When Christ comes back, He will give us fullness of joy if we put our trust in Him. The fact is we are citizens of heaven, but we still live in a broken place. We still live in a broken world. We live in a place where bad things happen. So what do, we, what do we do? What do we do when we have that bad day? What do we do when we have that bad week, when we have that bad year? We need to maintain perspective. Let me tell you about a really bad, bad week. Jesus was in the garden. His friend betrayed him. Soldiers came and arrested him. They beat him. They mocked him. They flogged him. They whipped him. They put a crown of thorns on his head and dug it into his scalp. They walked him up a hill to Golgotha, the place of the skull, carrying his own cross on his back. They drove nails through his hands and through his feet, and they crucified him. Jesus could have come down off of that cross at any moment. He is God. Why did he stay up there? How? How did he stay up there? He maintained perspective. Jesus literally went through hell. Because he knew that joy was waiting for him on the other side. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God has incredible joy waiting for us. We need to receive it. If we look forward to the joy that we have, to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, we can get through anything in this life. That joy will be our strength. Nehemiah 8.10 says, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. If we rejoice in God, He will strengthen us for anything. He offers incredible joy to us. God does. Because of Christ, God delights in us. And because of Christ, we can delight in God. If we center our lives on Him, We can delight ourselves in him. We can delight ourselves in the gospel. And we can receive joy in our lives. On the bottom of your insert, there's a couple lines there. What I want you to do is I want you to respond to some of the things that you've just heard. I want you to write down on that insert two out of the four points that I laid out. Two out of the four very practical things that you guys can do. Then I want you to take that home. I don't want you to throw the insert away. I want you to take it home and put it on your fridge or put it in your bathroom or just somewhere where you'll see it, somewhere where you'll remember it. And then over the next couple days, over the next week, over the next month, I want you to work on whatever those two are that you guys chose. 
Let's pray together. Let's rejoice in the Lord. Father God, we praise you. Father God, we love you. We thank you. God, we thank you for your grace in our life. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for coming down. We thank you for taking our sin. We thank you for the work that you accomplished on the cross so we could experience joy. God, we cry out to you. We want to desire you. We want to want you. But we know that it's only by your spirit that we will be pointed to you, Jesus. So we pray that you would draw us in. God, we pray that you would draw us in, that we would know you better, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of you. Because of that, we would receive your joy, God. Thank you. We praise you. Amen.